This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Thank you, Laura. Wow, it is terrific to be back here in a familiar place with a lot of new friends. Uh, Corey, what a band you've got. I mean, this youth band is outstanding. And, and I love the, not only the way they sound, but uh, the way they present themselves. Uh, the texts that they sang were, were Christ-centered. Uh, just wonderful worship music. And uh, that, uh, that says a lot about your investment in, in the future. Um, when Irene and I uh, walked across the parking lot, um, what you have out here right now was just a blueprint. And, and, and what an experience to see the blueprint has, has come to life. And uh, visions and dreams that, that we've had, you all are stepping into and continuing them. And all the wonderful reports that I hear about the church. You know, when we, did, we came back one time, we came back for Glenn Mason's funeral. And as I sat there, uh, listening to the, to the leadership and, and, and everything that was presented, I thought, they've put the kids in charge. <laughs> These were the associates that I work with, and they're now in charge. And it's, it's wonderful to see. Right, kudos to the bishop for doing something like that. Well, um, Irene and I live... Um, halfway between Fuquay and Holly Springs. And we decided, when I re-re-re-retired, we decided we'd go to a place where we had relational equity. And so we do. Uh, I was 10 years in Fuquay, Verena, and four years here. And so we just have lots of friends. Uh, and we want you to know that uh, we'd like for you to be a part of our circle of friends during these, uh, this next season of life. So thank you, thank you, thank you for inviting me back uh, to preach this morning. This is the first time I've ever been invited back to a church that I've served. I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay, but here we go. We'll find out, won't we? Our text this morning is from John's Gospel, the first chapter, and I begin reading with the 29th verse, and this is from the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. The next day, Jesus coming toward him, that's John the Baptist, Jesus declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is he of whom I have said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. This is John. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing him with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day. John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, 
which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained there with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. When you're trying to decide whether or not to try a new restaurant or watch the latest movie or read a book that you've heard about or if you're new, find a plumber, what do you do? You check the reviews, right? You read about what other people have have said and then you make your judgment. A lot of times it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but, but a lot of times it does. But I found... If someone that I know and respect tells me about something that I ought to try, I'm there. Because I go on the strength of their recommendation. John the Baptist was out in the desert preaching repentance and calling out the political and religious authorities whose sin was getting fat on the backs of the poor people. And John is standing there with a couple of his followers when Jesus happens to walk by. And as I just read, John the Baptist points to Jesus and he says to his disciples, he's the one. And so what do they do with this great reference from their beloved mentor? They turn and walk toward Jesus. And when he notices that they are behind him, he turns around. And that's where this text gives us two questions and an invitation. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Two questions and an invitation. The first question was Jesus. What are you looking for? They answered that probably not really ready to answer that fully. And they just said, "Um, where are you staying? And then he comes back with the invitation. Come and see. Now, good biblical interpretation needs to have an understanding of the context of the scenario. So, what what was going on at that point in time, in that interlude? Well, the setting was Palestine in about 30 AD. It was a turbulent time under harsh Roman occupation. They were aided by turncoat Jews who were collaborating. Life was hard. They had few resources. Religion was all about keeping the rules and paying the dues. So what were they looking for? I think at that time, they were looking for hope. They They were looking for something or someone that would make life better for them than it was presently. They needed spiritual guidance. Well, this led to a crash course in three years of them following this Jesus and learning a new way to live 
with love at the center. And Jesus began by taking them up to a mountain and sharing them with them the profile of a person that was to follow him. We now call it the Beatitudes. And, he's, and he starts with, blessed are the renounced in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he said, blessed are those who mourn over the sins and the suffering of others. Blessed are the powerful meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who extend mercy to others, for they will receive mercy back themselves. And blessed are those who will one thing, the kingdom of God, for they shall see God. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great shall be your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And the likes of you will be called the salt of the earth, the light of the world. I'm, I'm delighted to know that your pastors are going to preach on the Beatitudes beginning next month. Is that right, Laura? Yeah. My favorite text of Scripture. Because it says, this is who we are becoming. These are the likenesses driven through our individual temperaments and personality of what it means to be a Jesus follower. Not so much what we know, but how we live and who we are. Jesus goes on to say in that same message, he takes the law and then he moves it to the relational. When he said, you have heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the evildoer, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Or you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, do not look with lust upon another. He said, you've heard it say, do not murder. But I say to you, if you hold unresolved anger against a brother or sister, you are in danger of judgment yourself. You have heard it said, you should love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father of heaven. So now this strange counter-cultural community of Jesus is born. And it gradually spreads around the world. 150 years ago, as Laura said, a group, small group of Methodists came to a new town, hadn't even been incorporated. The town of Apex wasn't incorporated until 1873. Settlers started arriving in this area in the 1860s. And this is what Methodists do. They go to where the people are. You all have done that. 
So new people coming in, they started a new experience called Apex Methodist Episcopal Church South. So a good question would be Jesus' question to ask. When they started this church 150 years ago, what were they looking for? So we need to go back then to do our right hermeneutics. What was happening at that time? What was life like 150 years ago here by the railroad track? By the way, the railroad track was finished and his first train came through in 1869. And they were right by the railroad track in 1870 here. Well, it was a turbulent time, wasn't it? Civil War was just over five years previous. It was a time of the Reconstruction. The president had just been impeached. North Carolina was still occupied by a Union army headquartered in Raleigh. Carpetbaggers were coming down from the north and exploiting people and getting whatever they could from these poor people. The Ku Klux Klan was active against the newly freed slaves. I can imagine the sense in this place, in this area, was one of deep suffering, grief, and anger. Who among them had not lost a family member to that vicious war? What were they looking for when they started a Christian church in this place? I think they were looking for hope. They were looking for loving community that they could trust. They were looking for healing and spiritual guidance. 150 years ago, Methodists responded to that invitation of what are you looking for? And they followed Jesus to this place where he said, come and see. Come and see. Irene and I know something about that because we were privileged to journey with you all 150 years. No, we weren't here 150 years ago. <laughs> Although, hey, good news, I'm the oldest former preacher that you're going to have to put up with this next year. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Oldest one. But when we were here, what we got to see you doing to give hope to this place, were things like, we saw hundreds of people come into a new loving, accepting community. We saw mission trips, went with some of them, to places like El Salvador and Haiti, and a ministry that started in both of those places. We, uh, we, we were here at the beginning of the start of a ministry with Latinos, Jose Luis and all of those wonderful people that kind of came and become part of that. Um, we were here at the beginning of the community garden which continues, right? I saw it out in Miss Jean's land when we were driving in. Almost hit another car because I was looking at the garden out there. <laughs> we, uh, I witnessed some extraordinary youth teams going to the mountains every year, Appalachian Service Project. And then I saw extraordinary youth work teams right here in this community, spreading hope, helping people that had needs. Whoa. Um, I was here when you were strategizing, saying, okay, we believe that this is a strategic location. We need to stay here, but we're just slammed out of space. What should we do? We're strategizing what would it be like to go and to start new faith communities and other places around the community, and you have done that. As I said a little while ago, I was here 
when we developed blueprints for what I said back then will be a jewel of a campus. And so it is. Praise God. This congregation has specialized in big, bold faith steps taken to the glory of God. 150 years of following Jesus in this place. So then now we have to ask, okay, it's the year 2020. What are the people of Apex in the surrounding community looking for now? Okay, let's do our hermeneutical work here. What's the context? What's going on in our culture, in in our world at this time that our people are concerned about? It's a turbulent time once again. Unprecedented change, continual war, widening of the gap between the super rich and the poor, the cyber world of AI, the speed of information sharing is astonishing, as is astonishing that the level of loneliness is increasing. Ugly political polarization, global warming, the opioid crisis. And with all this growth coming into the best place in America to live, right here, is the culture here, the reshaping of the character of this community is up for grabs. It's not unreasonable. If Jesus were to ask you right now, what are you looking for? You might say, Jesus, in the light of all this change, where are you staying now? In other words, Jesus, where are you hanging out now in this culture? And he says, come and see. In John 1, he offers them hope. Hope to come and see that he teaches and models a new way of living, not so much a new way of believing, but how to approach life and live authentically as a person of love. He calls it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's not heaven, it's not a place, but it's a dimension of living that honors the creator, is inclusive of everyone, and restores shalom, God's sense of fullness of life, wholeness of being to this planet and to be a part of that project. I was raised in a very conservative church. My early views have shifted from a static God to a dynamically engaged God. I began to experience God as unchanged change or God is one with eternal creativity. And thus, God is the source of something that is ever new and that are always moving forward. Even as God spoke and matter happened, maybe 13.8 billion years ago, who knows? But God's been a part of that continual sweep of progress, transformation, and is still doing that. 
In the midst of all of life's changes, and in my lifespan, they have been massive. I began to realize that God is not waiting for me to get things exactly right. Rather, God is in the midst of this chaotic life, bringing forth new life and new ways to love and to be for Him. God gives us the freedom. God gives us the freedom to shape our lives. And the most authentic life can only be found in the freedom of letting go, repeatedly letting go, and stepping into God's future. It's an unfinished universe. Physicists tell us that. Quantum mechanics is teaching that. And so we got to live with hope that God is doing new things even within the church. To commit one's life to Jesus is to commit oneself to what the kids were singing today, and that is radical love. Love alone bears witness to itself. The Christian life is a fitness center for the soul, a training center for love, on how to love. St. Bonaventure, ancient saint, wrote, you truly exist where you love, not where you live. Let me say that again. You truly exist where you love, not merely where you live. Hmm. Intentionally following Jesus is to live a life that is tethered to God. And thus, and thus, it's a life that is growing in ever more courageous love, a life that is bountiful in love, a life that is daring with new possibilities. If you make my word your home, you will, lo- you will know the truth, Jesus says, and the truth will set you free. Freedom and love. It was what gives courage to new and radical ways of being a follower of Jesus, ways that reflect the life and the passion of Jesus, so that the world can move from ungodly darkness to, again, as we were singing this morning, Christ-centered light. Reclaim hope. That's my theme today. Reclaim who we are and move ahead. In my imperfect stumbling following this Jesus all my life, the last several decades of being absorbed with Jesus and of learning contemplative prayer and how to learn to to practice his presence in my life minute to minute, there are things that he has transpired within me. I have come to, to believe in the full acceptance of everyone. I've come to believe with Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we celebrate tomorrow, I believe, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. I believe we should protect this planet. I believe that everyone deserves health care. I believe that religions are to be respected for the truth they uphold. I believe to be pro-life means to treasure it all. I believe people and places are better with diversity. I believe generosity is greater than greed. Compassion is better than contempt, and kindness is always superior. I believe that there's enough in this world for everyone. 
enough food, enough resources, enough room, enough care, if we unleash our creativity and unclench our fists. I don't want generally for bumper stickers, but I have one on my Jeep right now. Two words, scatter kindness. I really like that. When I first saw it, yeah, I, I, I can slap that on there. You know, it's, it, it's a good start, huh? Scatter kindness. Love alone is capable of uniting beings in such a way to complete and fulfill them. For it's love alone that joins us to what is deepest within ourselves. So when you follow Jesus, listen to this, when you follow Jesus, stability lies in change, not in remaining the same. Because we couldn't minister today as we did even 10 years ago, let alone 150 years ago. I've come to realize that the road to hope in God doesn't lie in stability, but in creativity, in seeking new ways to reach out and love others. And this is the kind of church I believe will flourish in the future, a church that seeks new ways to reach out and love others. God is not going to do anything for us without us. So we don't just sit and wait for it to happen. As I, you probably heard me say before, faith is one foot off the ground with a queasy feeling in a pit of your stomach. <laughs> Moving forward. Co-creators with God. The Apostle Paul prayed one time in Ephesians chapter 1, where he said, I pray that the Lord that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened. He doesn't say, so you learn a lot more stuff. I think it's more emotional intelligence. With the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know the hope to which he has called you. The glorious riches of the inheritance of the saints. And you've got 150 years of those saints, you know. And the immeasurable greatness of his power at work within us. The same kind of power that God used to bring Jesus out of the grave. So we're talking about power to take things that appear to be dead and bring them to life. Jesus ever invites us into the future. Come and see. Come and see the new worlds God is preparing for us. May we pray? Oh God, I, I thank you for this congregation and for the way that has dared to step out and to follow you in some very important ways. And Lord, you have placed them in this strategic location right in the middle of this growing town and city and region. And I would pray that you would give them new eyes for seeing where you are leading them with hope into your future.
Lord, keep their eyes securely on Jesus to trust him. In his powerful name we pray. Amen.